You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another podzine. Well, I don't know about you, but autumn in the UK, October, November, is a time Rose and I always associate with fungi and mushrooms. Like many people, I'm sure, we have several books describing the ones you can and can't eat, which, of course, we naturally forget when we're walking on the hills and see nature's harvest before us. There's always a nervousness, isn't there? It's all about clarity. And sometimes the more we read, the more confused we become. As luck would have it, a friend passed on some information recently about a group who might be able to help. A group who, as it happens, were gathering last weekend. So Rose and I ignored the impending cold rain and set off to Shrawley Woods near Ombersley in Worcestershire. Incidentally, if you do have one of those books to hand, it might be useful to refer to it during this podcast. My name's Diana Bateman and um, myself and my husband Tim, we're leaders of the Worcestershire Fungus Group. And that's who you're walking with this morning. And is, is the fungus group part of a global, uh, a national uh, range of groups? There is a, yes, there is a national range of groups. Um, not every county, sadly, is represented, but there are quite a few groups around who all do the same sort of thing, go out at the weekends and study fungus. Uh, and what, what are we sort of hoping to say to today? Well, um, to be honest, uh, you could find anything, uh, anything from something extremely common to something extremely rare. It's uh, a little studied um, um, group, the, fu- the fungus, are a, a very underestimated group. And uh, um, because there's so few people who are actually experts, um, it uh, is uh, quite surprising some of the things you come across. You can never guarantee what you're going to find. So, so how long have you been doing this? Um, Tim and I have been studying fungi, I should think, for something like 20 years. Um, but it's only in the last, I suppose, 10 years or so that we've actually been leading a, leading a fungus group. Is there a, a certain amount of responsibility, I suppose, as regards fungus that you could eat? You have to be very, very definite about what you found. Right, well, we don't, we don't claim any responsibility for what anybody eats at all. Um, but uh, we obviously do give guidance. Um, the whole purpose of what we do isn't solely to go out and collect for edibility, but we do teach people how to learn to identify if they want to go out to seek fungi for that purpose. Fungi have seasons, um, a bit like plants. There are certain types that you might find in the spring that wouldn't occur in the autumn. and then there are other fungi that maybe will flush once or twice a year. Um, there are some that persist all year round, um, but it does very much depend on conditions, whether, whether it's dry or whether, um, whether it's cold. Certain, certain aspects of weather will actually affect fungi to such an extent that some particular fungi, particularly ones that appear during summer, may actually miss a season if it's too dry. And, and this year has been particularly damp and, and not, uh, not that pleasant from, from a summer point of view. Um, has there been a very obvious effect that it's had to the range of fungi you've seen this year? Well, although you say this year has been very damp, 
Um, yes, it was up until a certain point, and then we just had no rain whatsoever. We seem to have had all our yearly rain in one spate at the beginning of the season. And the way that's affected the fungi is a lot of them haven't appeared until extremely late this year. Um, they have been persisting quite a lot later than normal. But now we've had a couple of frosts, that's the thing that really um, gets rid of a lot of the fungi. The frost will actually um, wipe them out. So I'm just hoping that the cover of the trees that we've got in here still will have um, just protected them a little bit. So uh, I know that notice with the uh, leaflet you gave me, the group's fairly active all through the year. Do you tend to sort of concentrate on, on woodland areas or do you often go sort of further afield off into, into more open uh, expanses? We mainly specialise in woodland fungi. We do actually walk on a little bit of grassland area, um, but our expertise is mainly on woodland fungi. And the purpose of all the various visits we do through the year is to survey as many woodlands as we can in Worcestershire. And where does this data go to that, uh, when you surveyed? Well, m most of the data goes onto the um, the uh, the biological goes onto the biological records office, who obviously keep it locally as a as a, an important source of uh, information on fungi in Worcestershire. But it also gets passed onto a, a larger network um, onto the British Mycological Society database. Oh, right, OK. And can people sort of access this themselves if they've got a passing interest in the subject or is it fairly um, uh, select as, as regards who the information is available to? You, it, it is reasonably select as to who it's um, um, given out to, but, but if people have an interest, and especially if people are members of the British Mycological Society, they'd be able to access the database. There's also the Association of British Fungus Groups who also um, hold a database for fungi, and this is accessible to those people who generally are members. OK, so it's, it's, it's a damp autumnal morning here in Shrawley Wood. Um, it's certainly wet underfoot and uh, uh, there's the clouds low. Uh, we're, oh, I see our members have spread out already <laughs> in a long line. What are we looking for exactly? We're looking for mushrooms and toadstools. <laughs> but are we looking within the trees, in the, uh, looking, the ground? We're looking anywhere. You're looking on the ground and you're looking on fallen branches. We have one person who specialises within our group at looking at what we describe as bits on sticks. Um, I, try to, um, I try to deal with the larger fungi, the ones that are actually visible mostly to the naked eye. But uh, everybody will be sort of scouting around looking for various bits and pieces. I think they might have just found something down here. Um, this is honey fungus. Um, this is the thing that the gardeners fail or everybody sort of are feared of if they have it in their garden. But this is quite an old specimen now going over. But as you can see, in every woodland around there's honey fungus. And if it was the true killer that people say it would be, there wouldn't be any trees around. Um, my belief is that um, honey fungus has to actually invade a damaged tree. It will either have its roots damaged below ground or there may be damage in the bark for it to be able to get a foothold. But if it's a perfectly healthy tree, then you shouldn't have a problem with it. Okay. And this is a little member of the ink cap family. This is um, Caprinus micaceus, the glistening ink cap. It's a tiny thing, yeah. And th this is this, this is one of the ink caps that grow in a cluster together, on usually on buried or rotten wood. Uh, one of the decomposers of wood. Well, in actual fact, that's what all fungi do, is they're here to help decompose matter around. Oh, okay. And the ink cap family were um, used originally, That where they got their name from was because they were boiled up to actually extract a black liquid from mm. them, which made ink. 
So, yeah, I certainly recognise the Shaggy in caps as a, as a much bigger version of that. What else <laughs> yeah. have we got here? Right, well, that's my scene. I know, it's my scene. Is it Galariculator? Yeah. And that's the same thing when it gets bigger. Mm. Is it? You Although were right. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to record. So, that's the same as that one. Yeah, yeah. And then, Ah, pass. Let me have a look at that in a minute. Okay. Is this is this one of those bits on sticks? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit on sticks. Candle snuff. It's what? Sorry. Candle snuff. Candle snuff. Yeah. Right. Hold on to that one. For okay. So are these mushrooms or toadstools? These are both the same thing. Is there a defining difference between them? No. It's, it, these are these are um, the fruiting bodies of the fungus that is below ground. Or embedded in a tree. So there isn't any difference between a toadstool and a mushroom, is there? No, exactly. The same thing. <laughs> everybody one, finds it's it. It's a good one to, to confuse them, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What's the difference between a mushroom and a toadstool? None. And I get all these stories of yes, you can peel a mushroom and they're quite safe to eat. Well, there's a thing called the death cap and it peels beautifully <laughs> and you wouldn't want to eat that no, one. No, no, and they are found in here. Yes, they are. Right, that's a sassarella. Is it sassarella? It is a sassarella, but as to which, as to which one, I don't know. Oh, this, by the way, is the mushroom bible. You can see it's, it's well, well used <laughs> in wet weather, but unfortunately this book is now out of print. I was going to say, actually, what's the, what's the most useful reference book for people? Is it ones with photographs in or ones with drawings like this? It makes no difference. The most important thing about um, having a reference book is actually reading the information, because although the actual picture can lead you to um, the area that you're looking in, you need to study the text very carefully. Um, that's a little fire, I think. Yep, that's that one there. Yeah. Sathorella hydrophyla. Okay. And that was growing on a wood stump. This is a yes, it was on a stump. This is absolutely fantastic. But it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be being um, reprinted. Reprinted, but it's also been updated. But it's been written in French. Um, uh, but we've been waiting for something like three years now for it to come back out again, and it's not appeared yet. There's also some other good books. Um, another author to look for is Regis Cortiquis, um, who is a French man and his book is very good. It's just that this is this is just well loved. It's a very easy book to use. So it's, it's called Mushrooms and Toadstools of Northern Europe, did I say? Britain and North Northwestern Europe by Marcel Bond. That's yeah. the thing to look out for. Uh, oh, you've got snot fungus, Peter. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Zidia theretiana. Yeah, that's it. Exidia theretiana on hazel. On hazel, and also uh, Bisparella sulfurina. Where's snot fungus? Oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. Exidia, what is it again, Peter? Ferretiana. And the other one was... It's not a good thing. It's a huge globule. I have to take that and remember that one. I take that and share my kids at school, you know. Here comes the rain. Don't you feel slightly out of your depth, although, not knowing long Latin words? Not a snot fungus, I can remember that one. I can remember shaggy ink caps, but everything with all these Latin names in it doesn't... Do you have to have a stutter for that one? Or was that the one on the soil? Oh, that was the one on the soil. Yeah. It's not like going out with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, is it? No, no. This would be nice with parsley. Absolutely. I'm going to record that without people telling me. It is 
Euromyces muscari growing on dead bluebell stem and from Oriole we had Tuberia furfuratio growing in soil. My glasses off so they don't fall over. <laughs> Are you finding it interesting? Yeah, yeah, so fascinating. It's I've just we were just saying it's uh, um, it's all the Latin names and so on yeah. and the and the confidence that goes with it. I we're... think the unfortunate thing is that a lot of these uh, fungus only come with Latin names. They've now brought out a whole list of new English names to try and make it a bit more user friendly. <laughs> um, some of the fungus do have um, common names, but a lot of them unfortunately just come with Latin and it's quite difficult when people first start to um, get to grips Therian with it, but it. Sorry, Therian. Yes, hairy stelium. On what are we yeah. looking at there? A wood. I know it's wood, but it's oh, it's a piece of um, um, lime. lime. Yes, and this is an interesting yeah. woodland trawley as it contains um, small leaf lime, which is quite uncommon. And there's a huge amount of it in this woodland. And there are times when we're walking around in the summer when there aren't a lot of toadstools about, so we're apt to sort of look at anything else that's around just to make the Plant, walk interesting. Flower, just packets, cocktails. <laughs> Don't make you, but I can't see what they can find. Well, it's very, they're, they're obviously well camouflaged, but they're picking things up all over the place. I can't see. I'm <laughs> just walking through. We're just used to walking, aren't we? We're yeah. stopping and looking carefully. This, it gets quite cold as well because. Uh, See my poor old bombs getting wet again. I don't know how it's ever survived. Shall we go into the exciting place? I know what that might be. I'll take that back to look at. I noticed you sort of uh, taking a, 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 a smell, yes. having a good sniff underneath I've there. What do you, what's here. the difference between them? Right, well, some, some fungi have um, distinctive smells that can help you to identify them and, or, or even lead you in the direction of identifying them. And I bought this one along here, which I just found down there. Can you smell that? It's got a slight... Um, sort of aniseed -y. Yeah, that's it. And that, I know it's a clytosabee because the gills are running down the stipe and it's decurrent and it's a clytosabee shape, which is a funnel shape. But that smell gives it away as being something called clytosabee fragrance. Right. Um, and that, that's, you know, there are a few in that group that actually do have a slightly aniseed smell. But that one is quite, you know, distinctive and you do get that aniseed smell. I mean, you find fungi around that smell of coconut, of of oh, crab really? meat, of really strange things, but it does just sort of lead you to have a distinctive smell that helps you to identify. Uh, do they all have a smell? No, not all of them. Some of them have relatively no smell at all. Some of them just smell mushroomy, and some of them just smell plain revolting. You know, right. <laughs> um, you always have to make sure when you're looking at fungi for identification that you've got them in good condition. Mm. One of the other things that's quite important is to get the whole specimen to get the um, get the whole thing up because when you're looking to try and find what they are sometimes as the one i showed you previously had characteristics on the stem or stipe as it's correctly called um, you need to get all of that intact and sometimes they have a bulb or base mm -hmm. on things so that you need to be able to see that to be able to help determine what it is that you've got right this is a nice edible mushroom highly prized um, this is called by the French 
Oh, trumpet of death or trumpet of trump, trumpet de more. Um, we call it horn of plenty. I don't know why they call it trumpet of death. Presumably because it's like a black trumpet. And, um, but it is a, a, a prized edible fungus from uh, um, restaurants. It's quite an expensive one on the market. Um, we do find a bit of it around in here, but we have to be very careful of what we're looking at here because Oriel always manages to pick... There is quite a rare chanterelle that grows in here. Oh, I'll hang on to this so that if we do find the chanterelle, you can see the difference. This, as you see, has got no gills underneath it at all. It's completely smooth. Um, Craterellus cornucopoides is its Latin name. Um, but the black chanterelle looks very, very similar, but the black chanterelle has recently been re removed but was on the red data list of species but I don't think it's on there anymore. Oh, the, the red data list being what? Red data list will be exactly like you have with rare orchids or rare butterflies. Oh, okay. They're regarded as being endangered species, not found a lot. But as I explained before, it may be because it's, these things are under-recorded rather than their actual rarity. This is the only site where we do ever find... We only find them here, don't we? Find those elsewhere. But you shouldn't pick black chanterelles because of their rarity. Oh, um, and they're not particularly good as an edible species anyway. But so are we looking for the, the chanterelles on the ground, or yes, is it the sort of yeah. thing in, on, you can on imagine, birch? You can so imagine how difficult that was to see. Yeah, I was amazed. Yeah, what is it? Absolutely amazed. Yeah, well, you do get this sort of what we refer to as a shrooming eye, where you can actually sort of... Um, you know, you, you, you hone into them. I mean, we've got one guy who does walk with our group who's not here today, and he spots the tiniest of tiniest of little mushrooms that you could possibly imagine. He, big ones he falls over and doesn't see, you know, but... Uh, so that's Craterellus that cornucopoides growing in the area. <laughs> yeah. I think I've found another one. I think I've found one. Oh, yes. They are. You found yourself a... Uh, Is that a, a black trumpet? Do I, do I pick it or leave it? No, I'd leave that one. I know definitely that that's not the chanterelle we're looking for. But, uh, <coughs> it's amazing. Growing in, yeah, I mean, when you normally find those, um, it might not be a good year for them this year. It's a bit like, you know, when you get crops of apples, some yeah. years are better than others. Yeah. Some years you can find the floor absolutely plastered with them. And other years, you know, there's not so many around. Ah, what a good spot. Oh, well spotted. And that's a rustula. Remember we had the yellow one earlier on? Oh, yeah. Um, that is actually a, a different rustula. Let's have a look at it. Oh, oh sorry. And that's going to be one. I'm not sure on this one because it looks like the common purple rustula, but I don't think it is. It's not quite the right coloration. So, again, that's one I'm going to... Obviously, standing around looking at these things in the pouring rain is not quite a simple <laughs> thing. <laughs> yes. So that's Sunday afternoon's um, revision. See, look, there's a little tiny, tiny Mycena here. And again, that's going to be one that I'm going to take back with me to look at. But we'll actually get you recorded on the... Uh, on record, oh. uh, a purple rustula to be identified this afternoon, found by Bob Cartwright. So you're now on the record. I'm on the list. So how many fungus fungi are there? Is there like a couple of thousand or more? Um, right, um, of the larger fungi, there'll probably be about 8,000 um, of the uh, fungi all told, including microscopic. There's probably about 22,000 oh, species blimey. in Great Britain. Nice. and. 
when I started doing uh, studying mushrooms and toadstools, I thought it was going to be relatively simple. I bought myself a little tiny pocket guide with about 50 mushrooms and thought, I'll soon suss that out. And after walking around a few times, I kept finding things that weren't in my little pocket guide and went off to study with experts. I wonder whether if I'd realised just how many of them were around to start with and how many of them are little and brown and all resembling, (laughs) looking alike, then maybe I'd have given up at the first (laughs) hurdle. But uh, I've slowly improved over the years. Let's have a look what we've got here then. Is that a milky milk cup That's, yes. Oh, yeah, they spotted. Spotted. Now, the question is... Now the question is, is, them, is it or isn't it? There you are, now that is a black chanterelle. <laughs> now can you see the difference in the respect that, that these aren't true gills, these are actually folds underneath here, they're not true gills, but you can see that that one um, is very, very smooth and this one is, you know, completely different. But to see them from above, yeah. This and you can see that they can get quite a lot bigger. They yeah, they're big. very similar. And in there. you can get this quite a lot smaller. So to see them from above is very difficult to be able to tell the difference. Now you can see why it's important to be able to actually pick fungi, to be able to identify them. Um, it it there is a lot um, of talk at the moment where uh, whereby a lot of people are banning people from collecting fungi in woodlands. Um, one of the reasons being that there's a lot of wholesale collection done for um, purposes of selling on to restaurants, etc., for commercial purposes. A problem when this is done is nothing is recorded, literally everything is swept up from the woodland floor. And what they then do is not bother, get, literally somebody will be at the other end who knows what they're doing and they'll pick out the edible ones and throw all the rest away. So no records are ever taken. But you can see that for the purposes of identification, you need to be able to pick the fungi to look at it because from looking from above you would not be able to determine whether those two species were different or not. And just referring to these two species, that's the black... This is the trompette de moor. This that's, is the, that's an edible one. This is edible. And the chanterelle. This is edible but it's not particularly brilliant but because of its rarity it's we would rare. never we would never consider picking it for edibility right. and this is why if people are collecting um, the um, horn of plenty in this woodland I do ask them if they can sort of almost as you can see here if you sort of turn it over a bit you can you can see whether it's got these folds underneath or not but I will record that because it's nice to find that one yet and it wasn't me and there is I found one <laughs> <laughs> You're on the list. I've got two now. I've got two. I've got one more than you. I've got any, I don't think. Yes. Cantharella cinereus, growing in moss in usual area, found this time by Bob Cartwright. <laughs> this is this is the Coriolis versicolor, the turkey tails, and you can see where it gets its name from because it's got this sort of fan shape on it. This is one of the fungus that's been, this is a sort of a recent name for this. Um, I always think it should be called pencil shaving fungus because if you imagine what it looks like when you're sharpening a pencil, what comes out of a pencil sharpener, it looks very similar. Most of it, I was looking for big things. (laughs) Some of these are very small. They're tiny and they're walking around with these really strong magnifying glasses identifying it which is understandable what they're trying to do but you know how you have this perception of what we look what we were thinking we were going to see and look for yeah my ba- my basket's Your basket. a bit ambitious isn't it really <laughs> you look rather greedy actually <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it was empty as well you're expecting at least two trout and and, and uh, a whole bag full of mushrooms in there I ju- I'm, I'm feeling a little um um 
wanting to you know all these people are bringing these specimens back to uh, Diane and, and I haven't found anything yet to take her and I'm a bit worried that if I do take something it's going to be like oh no there's hundreds of those <laughs> yes. that's common yes not knowing the difference oh she found something look, look. is that a funnel shaped one that she said yes it is but it's been chomped yeah the slugs have been at it they're obviously, for some reason, they're very nice. Does it, does it smell? She, no, it hasn't got it an aniseed smell. It wasn't the aniseed one, but it was the funnel-shaped one. Yeah. I don't know what she called it. Well done, Rosie. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> it's sorry. You can, make a, you can make a plaster from the underside, yeah. as in something to wrap on your finger to yeah. protect it. No, I, I, like, last time I went on a trip like this, somebody was telling me there were a couple of mushrooms that you could actually peel it back and you could sharpen your knife on. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a... On the sort of leather of it. Yeah. This one. You see, you've got that wonderful thing wow. because, it, because it's naturally antiseptic. You can you, you can cut a little sort of strip, and then that peels off. It feels like it, and it, you've done it right. And then you can wrap you can wrap that on a on a wound, and it it, it acts like a plaster. And of course, it's got natural sort of. Antibiotic stuff. I mean, you have to sort of bind it on with a bit of lime bark or something, you know, if you want to be fully authentic. But you take that and wrap it on a cut. And, but, and what's that again? That's a birch bark polypore. Birch bark polypore. Yeah. So how did you get involved in this then? Uh, I do. I basically I'm into hills, into sort of um, bushcraft pursuits. I do sort of hill walking. Uh, say I make bows. Um, I sort of like being animal observations um so yeah it's just just a, an actual part of it i just makes a woodland walk a little bit more interesting an extension of your knowledge extension of knowledge yeah and the fact that you know fiona and i like collecting edibles and every so often you get a really interesting taste experience out of it you know um i'm less enthused by the you know sort of non-useful ones like you know i can give you chapter and verse on the ones that have actually got a bushcraft use but yeah, yeah. you know anything that's small but terribly interesting then no i'm not so good on them but these these are quite clever so how long have you been sort of uh, in, into recognizing the fungi and so on then? um must be about four years um yeah we came i i came along to one that they do um die in that tim do sort of open days where some members of the general public can come along and i went along to one of those and it was very very interesting um and then basically fiona and i signed up to come and to come on their sort of Sunday expeditions um, and it's great because it means you can collect edibles safely because you've got experts an expert to yeah. identify it for yeah. you because occasionally you know you pick things up and they look to the untutored eye pretty identical to something edible and you eat it and you nine times out of time, ten you'll be okay <laughs> because it probably is or it's not poisonous in itself it might just be unpleasant yeah, rather than yeah. poisonous but every so often because there are some deadly deadly poisonous ones Oh, it's destroying angel, which looks a bit like a field mushroom. Mm. You know, bite that and you're dead. You're dead ten times over. It's so so amazingly toxic. You know, so yeah. So yeah, it's good to have die around. You know, and thanks to her, I now know sort of half a dozen edible species that I will collect happily by myself with confidence. With confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's. You know, so there's great value in, in joining a group like this then oh, to, yeah, to uh, clarify the I mystique. It, it's the only way to be honest, because if you take a field guide with you, uh, you, you'll just get more and more confused. Mm. As you know, you've seen today, there's mushrooms 
but from their very young stages to their going off in slimy stages and their colour variation, their shape variation um, is immense across that range um, and there's all these sort of tiny characteristics which differentiate them and sometimes you get to the point where there's two mushrooms which look identical and the only thing that's going to differentiate them is a spore print where you're actually sort of seeing what colour and shape the spores are produced in and you can't do that unless you're in a back home in a dry mm. condition with a clean paste paper and something to protect the protect it from the wind so you know it's 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 down to fine science in many cases it's but you know it's a fascinating it's a fascinating subject yeah, yeah. well certainly from a bushcraft point of view you mm. don't want to be out in the, in the woods enjoying a meal and having that question mark hanging yeah. hanging over your in dull light do you really oh exactly exactly you know and if you know like I say if the, you know there's some very nice species out, edible species you know like the para, um, parasol fungus which is very easy to identify there's a wood parasol there's a field parasol they're both edible they're both easy to identify and they both make a really good meal and they're a good and they're a good size um things i've, I've eaten my fair share of sort of dried rations and biltong and things like this and you, you know um a bit of you know freshly chopped mushroom garnish thrown in at the last minute doesn't and, and it makes you look so good doesn't it It does it oh yes it's very impressive if, um, if you go on a survival course and you can actually gather some wild food because um, it's damn hard you know that's a nice edible mushroom there. Yeah. Um, Need a lot of them, mind. That's uh, that's the amethyst deceiver, and it's called a deceiver. There are two deceivers. There's the ordinary deceiver, which in actual fact is um, like a, a light brown colour, a bit like those tuberias we were looking at. And then there's the amethyst deceiver. And one of the things that I try and teach people when they're learning about edible fungi is if you go for the things that look completely different, or as you can see from that, it's quite a bright colour. Um, if you go for something like this um, and learn to identify something like this, there's not a lot you can mistake it for. So it's best to go for the stranger looking ones yeah. straight away. So you, having seen the trumpet, you'd recognise that yeah. again. Yes. Um, apart from, as I say, the black chanterelle, there's nothing like that. So that's an easily identifiable edible species, as is with this. There's another purple species that grows in woodlands in the autumn called the bluet, and that's also mm. edible. Here's oh, we got another edible species. This is a thing called the hedgehog fungus. Now, unlike um, the ones that we yeah, well, because this is a variety called rufescens, hiddenum repandum var rufescens. Ah. Now you see, this is where it starts getting really complicated because you have hiddenum repandum, which is normally white. This variety is var rufescens because it's a rufous colour. And underneath, instead of it having gills, was with most of the things we've seen. Can you see it's got little tiny spines on it, like mm. little hedgehog spines? Right. And that is another prized edible species, which is the um, hedgehog fungus. But that's been nibbled, presumably. That's the that has had part of it. You often find these broken off. Um, and one of the things to learn also when you're finding out about edible fungus is the fact that it's been chewed is not a good indicator that it's necessarily edible because things like slugs and snails and squirrels can eat even the most poisonous of mushrooms with no problems whatsoever. Um, it's, you know, you have to know your, what you found and identified to be completely safe on what you're eating. But, uh, yeah, Poisonous doesn't necessarily mean that it will kill you. There, there is a differentiation between poisonous and deadly poisonous. And yeah. Deadly poisonous is exactly what it says. And uh, there would probably be about 20 species of deadly poisonous fungus in Great Britain. Whereas there's probably about 100 very good edible species. Right. And, the, and the, yeah, the poisonous, the, the sort of... Uh 
it's just a major discomfort, isn't it, really, rather than a killer? Uh, well, it can range from something that can act on you like a very strong curry um, or, or, you know, make you feel unwell for maybe a couple of days or even it can be something that will make you feel unwell just for a couple of hours um, to something that could actually make you quite seriously ill and you'd be ill for a good few months but you would get over it, mm. um, which is obviously different to deadly poisonous because that will kill you <laughs> and you'll not get over that. So what is the best way to prepare the edible ones then? Is there a, a recommended um, oh, preparation gosh. method? or is it? Well, the, the, thing, the about, thing about preparing edible fungi is first you need to know which fungi yeah. you've got, obviously, that you're going to have. Some of them get prepared in very different ways. Um, most mushrooms you don't peel. Uh, it's better to keep the keep the actual peel on them because uh, any of the vitamins and minerals, etc., underneath the skin of a mushroom um, so sure you should really just wipe the caps with a, a, a damp paper towel was probably the best method um, some fungi are better sautéed some can be used in stews really the ideal thing is to get hold of a reasonable cookbook that specializes in wild fungi and um, to give you some helpful advice and tips I mean we normally uh, if people find a good crop of something to eat normally give them a bit of a recipe to go with it um, you mentioned earlier the shaggy ink cap, which you knew uh -huh, and could yeah, recognise. Yeah. Well, I had written a recipe for that one, whereby you have to make sure that the toadstool is completely white all the way down to the bottom and not beginning to go black. And if you take out the stem from the middle of it and fill it with a similar sized piece of brie or camembert, and then dip it in egg and breadcrumbs and deep fry it. You have the cheese melting in the middle and then you have the mushroom overcoat and a nice crispy coating on the outside and serve that with some red currant relish. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Now, uh, interesting you should mention that about the shaggy ink cap because I'd read somewhere else, now correct me if I'm wrong, that if you ate it and, and ate it with alcohol, mixed it with alcohol, it actually turns into a bit of a... Um, a um, you get indigestion. Um, where you may have got that story confused is that you can actually eat shaggy ink caps and there's no problem in having alcohol with them. But with some of the comprinus groups, and mainly there is a, a very common ink cap that you, you see around, you shouldn't eat that with um, having consumed alcohol 36 hours before or 36 hours afterwards because it contains a substance called antibuse. And that was one of the things that was originally used to help cure alcoholics. It can give you extremely unpleasant effects um, if you eat the fungus with alcohol. It causes sweating and nausea, very, very unpleasant. And that substance has now been produced um, in laboratories now, and it's now known as beta abuse. Normally we would have probably a few more people, but I think most of them have been sensible and had a lie in this morning with a cup of tea. And I'm beginning to wish I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, I'm completely lost now. Um, well, Diane, thanks very much indeed for taking the time this morning. And unpleasant as the weather has been, the company has been excellent and the knowledge has been most informative. Um, for anybody that's interested in doing this around the country uh, and obviously getting hold of their local group, uh, how would you suggest they, uh, they do that? Well, if, if, they go, if they go online and look at the British Mycological Society or even the Association of British Fungus Groups, um, certainly the British Mycological Society will have a list of uh, local recording groups and it will give them an indication as to whether there is one in their area or where the nearest group would be.
Um, and is there anybody else or any other website they should use for, for reference if they, if they haven't got a group near them that they want to actually start sort of developing their own knowledge to, to, to open their eyes to what to look for? Um, usually if they go into most things, you know, if you look for things related to mushrooms in any way, I mean, mind you, if you do put mushroom up, obviously you get hundreds of hits coming up and it uh, <laughs> gets a bit confusing. But um, those really are, the, the British Mycological Society and Association of British Fungus Groups are the only people in this country who actually, you know, um, have local sort of uh, groups attached to them, as it were. So anybody in the Worcestershire area, they want to have more um, details about you and come along on the on the next trip, how can they get hold of you? Right, well, they can write to us, um, that's uh, Diana and Tim Bateman, at Baytree Cottage, Uphampton, on Bursley, um, near Droitwich, Worcestershire, and that's WR90JS. But next year, we won't be starting our meetings um, until probably about mid-summer. So if they write to us, we'll get, we'll get back to them and ha- get, provide them with a foray list of all our meetings when we've sorted them out. But it won't be for some time in the next year. OK, well, the next one I come along to, can I wear shorts, please? And have a nice weather. <laughs> the next one we've got is actually just before December, so if you wear your shorts, I think you're going to have very cold knees. <laughs> we lost everyone. It certainly was a wet few hours, and it did take a while to get our shrooming eye tuned in to seeing fungi amongst the wet, deep, autumnal, leafy carpet in the woods. Diana did give us a handful of fungi uh, to bring home, and certainly we now feel much more comfortable about identifying them in the future. Now, if this is something which intrigues you and you want to know more, then do visit the national website uh, to see if there's a group near you. I'll put a link in the show notes on theoutdoorstation.co.uk so you can make the most of some excellent local knowledge. My thanks to the Worcestershire Fungus Group, that's uh, Diana and Tim, Peter, Oriel and Stephen Fiona, for their company and knowledge. Practice makes perfect, as they say, and Rose and I will certainly be seeing them again to reinforce the little knowledge that we have. So that just leaves me to say, happy foraging, folks. This independent program has been brought to you by The Outdoor Station, the exciting new way to see and hear free information about the outdoors world. If you're a blogger or if you have a website, you can now incorporate any of these podcasts directly to your site, completely free. Visit our website, theoutdoorstation.co.uk, for more information.